Chapter 5 In the Black Forest Dear God, Helena prayed fervently, I'm beginning to feel that it's too dangerous to stay in the city. Any day now I might be arrested for defying the Nazi party. Please provide a safe haven for my children and me. She remembered that in a remote corner of southern Germany's Black Forest lived a Mrs. Fischer, affectionately known as Tante Fischer. She was a widow and a faithful Adventist believer. Tante Fischer, she quickly wrote, may I and my children come and stay with you? We will do what we can to help with the expenses. Of course, Tante Fischer replied in a warm, encouraging letter. If you can help me meet expenses with 25 marks a month, plus a little extra for firewood, I can provide you a room with two beds. Just bring a crib for Gert and some bedding and dishes. I will send Mac, my farmhand, to the station every day until you arrive. He will help you with the baggage. Helena breathed a sigh of relief. A few quick calculations assured her that the government money she received for child and spousal support while her husband was in the army would be enough to pay the Frankfurt apartment's rent, plus the Black Forest expenses. Breathing prayers of gratitude, she packed up a few essential household goods and loaded them, herself, and the children onto the train. To Kurt, Lotta, and Gert, the six-hour journey was a rapid and wildly exciting one. They were thrilled to be going to the country, and they waved to pedestrians at railroad crossings and watched the telegraph poles fly by. Despite her nagging sense of worry, even Helena was encouraged. It was early spring, and spring lambs gambled in the meadows beneath new budding trees. Frau Rossel, is that you? There at the tiny station was Mac, waiting for them with his ox wagon. Deftly he loaded their goods, swung the children on top, and invited Helena to share the bench with him. Soon they left the village behind. The ox now plodded along unpaved country roads. Mutti, Kurt asked, what are those things beside the road? Those are shrines, she said. The people in this part of Germany are strongly Catholic, and they stop to pray at these little roadside altars. Intrigued, the children studied them closely as they passed. Many of the shrines had bouquets of fresh flowers in front of them, placed there by the devoted to lend greater weight to their petitions, or perhaps to give thanks for a special favor. Look, Lotta breathed, there's an image of baby Jesus, and there's one of Mary. Helena, not wanting to dampen their enthusiasm, said little. But in her heart she prayed that God would grant them his special protection. She knew only too well that the very devotion that made Catholics so faithful in the observance of their religion also drove them to bitterly persecute non-Catholics. How would her family fare in this region so steeped in prejudice and superstition? Observe Frau Fischer's home. Mac pointed with his whip to a house nestled against the mountainside, and soon the ox cart came to a halt in the yard. Tante Fischer lived in a typical black forest farmhouse. The lower part was whitewashed stucco, while the second floor and the roof were covered with weathered shingles. Ruffled muslin curtains decorated the windows, and red geranium spilled out of the window boxes. The ground floor contained stables for the animals, while the second story had living quarters for the family. In the winter time, this arrangement allowed the farmer to take care of the animals without having to go out into the snow. At the same time, the body heat from the animals added to the warmth of the living quarters. 
Tante Fisher had already spied them and ran to meet them with open arms. Sister Hassel, she greeted Helena. I am so glad that you are here. Don't worry about a thing. Now you will be safe. While Mac began unloading the wagon, Tante Fisher led them up the outside stairs to their bedroom. The room was large and airy with a wonderful view over the meadows to the dark, rolling, fur-covered mountains in the distance. Lotta was to share a bed with Mother, Kurt had the other bed, and Gert would have to sleep in his crib. The children were anxious to get outside to explore. Quickly they changed out of their travel clothes and ran down the stairs. They dashed around the side to find there a water trough made from a hollow log with the clear, cold spring water splashing into it, a little like a fountain. Behind the house were the ancient black fir trees rustling in the wind. A red squirrel looked down from the branches and chattered at them. Around the other side they discovered the stable with one cow and two goats. Chickens scratched in the dirt, supervised by a majestic rooster with iridescent tail feathers. Tante Fisher, Helena said as they gathered around the hand-hewn wooden kitchen table for their supper of bread and milk. Are people mining around here? It sounds like dynamite exploding. That's not dynamite, Tante Fisher said. Those are blasts from the huge cannons they have set up on the ridge above the village. From there they are attacking the fortifications along the French border. We have already created huge gaps. So the war is present even in this idyllic forest. Helena thought sadly. Exhausted from the travel and the excitement, lulled by the splashing of the water trough fountain and the rustling of the fir trees, they slept like bears in hibernation. The next day, with a prayer in her heart, Helena set out to enroll Kurt and Lotta in school. In these remote mountain areas, the schoolmaster was the second most influential person in the village, the first being the priest. In this solidly Catholic region, how could Helena persuade him to excuse her children from Sabbath attendance? When she arrived at the weather-beaten schoolhouse, the tiny window panes sparkled in the afternoon sun. The schoolmaster was a kindly white-haired man with wire-rimmed glasses. We have evacuated here from Frankfurt, Helena explained to him. I would like to enroll my son and daughter in your school. Frau Hassel, I would be delighted to have them. Let me add them to the roster. What grades are they in? The registration formalities taken care of, Helena breathed a silent prayer and said, I have a special request. We are Seventh-day Adventists. We worship God on the seventh day, the Sabbath, as the Bible says. I would like to have the children excused from attending school on Saturday. Startled, the teacher took off his glasses and stared at her in consternation. Rahasel, he said, I have never heard of Seventh-day Adventists. I, of course, respect your religious preference, but there is no way I can allow your request. If I did, it would jeopardize my position. Helena opened her mouth to reply, but the teacher interrupted. Besides, he said, if the other youngsters get wind of the fact that your children are not coming to school on Saturday, they will want to stay away too. I have a hard enough time motivating these peasant children to come to school in the first place. There is just no way I can help you. Please, sir, Helena said respectfully. It seems to me that it would all depend on how you explained it to the children. He looked at her thoughtfully for a moment, then he stood to his feet and ushered her to the door. I will think it over, 
he said. Kurt and Lotta stayed home that first Sabbath and every Sabbath thereafter. Every Monday, Helena braced herself for a summons from the mayor, or worst yet, from the priest. But nothing happened. Helena kept praying and wondering. Sister Hassel, Tante Fisher said one day at supper, the mystery of why your children aren't being bothered about Sabbath is solved. What do you mean? This afternoon, while I was in town to get groceries, I happened to be walking behind a group of children. I heard their conversation. Kurt and Lotta glanced up from their bread and milk. Tante Fisher chuckled. The boys and girls were telling each other that the schoolmaster had announced that these strangers from the big city were so smart that they did not need to attend school on Saturday. Everyone burst out laughing. Again, God had found a way out of the difficulty. Now that the Sabbath issue was settled, the family relaxed into a regular routine. Except for school hours, most of the day was spent outdoors, where everyone gathered wood and pine cones for burning. They brought home armloads of fresh boughs to bring the scent of the forest into their very bedroom. Hungry for fresh things after their potato winter, they spent hours in the pastures picking the tender new shoots of dandelion, sorrel, and nettles, which Helena mixed into delicious salads. As they tumbled in the lush mountain meadows, they heard the murmur of water and discovered tiny brooks crisscrossing the pastures, no wider than a man's hand and completely hidden by the tall grass. Every day was a delight. On rainy days, they played and hid in the stable or hayloft and swung from a rope Mac had fastened to a beam. Kurt discovered a crack in the wall in a dark corner and hid a length of chain in it. He challenged Gert and Lotta to find his hiding place. Though they searched diligently, they never did. Thirty years later, Kurt would return to visit Tante Fisher. He found the chain, by then completely rusted, still in its hiding place in the wall. When the weather was pleasant, the little family took long hikes through the forest to the tops of the surrounding mountains. By the wayside, they picked wild mint and chamomile blossoms, which Helena dried to use for tea in the winter. When summer came, they helped with the hay harvest. Then there were cherries and plums to pick, and later apples and pears. After their deprived diet, this was like paradise. The children learned to listen for the cuckoo. Legend had it, if you count the calls of the cuckoo, it will tell you how long you were going to live. Eagerly they counted till the cuckoo's call was lost in the distance. They never did get to the end. Gert, who was not in school yet, got the numbers muddled. Ein, zwei, sieben, tausend, zehn. He gave up. Every Friday, as a special treat for Sabbath, Helena made the trek into town to buy the children's favorite, Linzer Tort, a hazelnut pastry filled with raspberry preserves. On Sabbath morning, the handful of believers gathered in Tante Fisher's living room for a home Sabbath school and prayer service. One afternoon in late fall, Kurt clattered up the stairs, calling, Lotte, Gert, look what I have! He held a tiny black kitten one of the peasants had given him. Kurt named him Peter, and soon Peter followed Kurt everywhere and slept on his bed at night. The three children never tired of his antics and spent hours enticing him to chase after a small pine cone tied to a long string. When Helena churned milk, Peter got to lick some of the cream till his tiny sides were bulging and he collapsed into a corner, purring loudly. Into this ideal, the mailman delivered a letter. 
Tante Fisher, said Helena in a low voice so the children would not hear, listen to this. It's a letter from the mayor. He has written to all us evacuees in the village and is ordering us to return home immediately. What on earth can the man be getting at? Tante Fisher sputtered. I've read and reread this letter and I can't understand it. There's no rhyme or reason for that order, said Tante Fisher. None of you have caused any disturbances, and I haven't heard any complaints from the other villagers who have housed evacuees. Helena lowered her voice still further. We can't leave, Tante Fisher. Gert is still running the high fever he got yesterday. He can't travel, and I don't think it's God's will that we should have to go back to the city with its persecution and danger. She gathered her children together. Without telling them what the mayor's letter had said, she led them in special prayer for God's protection. Then she walked to the mayor's house, confident that God would work things out. To her dismay, he was adamant. I'm sorry, Frau Hassel, he said. Everyone has to leave. There will be no exceptions. Returning home heavy-hearted, Helena told the children they would have to help her pack, since they had to go back to Frankfurt the next day. All three youngsters started sobbing as if their little hearts would break. What is to become of our little Peter? Lotta sobbed. Oh, Mooty, we can't leave him behind. Helena thought for a moment. Let's take him with us. This small bit of good news dried their tears for the moment, and Kurt and Lotta quickly gathered their belongings. Meanwhile, Tante Fisher hurried out to make arrangements with the milkman to give them a ride to the station the next day. By evening, all the family's bundles were ready. Tante Fisher, do you have an old farm basket that you don't need? Helena asked. Certainly. Tante Fisher hurried to the pantry and returned with one. Helena took a long scrap of fabric and sewed a collar around the edge of the basket, and then threaded a string through the upper part of the cloth. When she pulled it tight, it drew the cloth together and made a kind of lid for the basket. Do you know what this is? she asked Lotta. Her daughter had been watching the process with big eyes. It's a traveling case for our little Peter, she guessed. The next morning, after a quick breakfast, the bedding was tied together. The milkman arrived in his smart wagon, drawn by a chestnut mare. He helped them load their belongings and set Peter's basket right beside his seat. Goodbye, Tante Fisher, the children chorused. Goodbye, she replied, wiping her eyes on the edge of her apron. Thank you for your kindness and generosity to us, Helena said fervently. I will pray for you, Sister Hassel. Go in God's care. As soon as the wagon started, Peter, the kitten, went berserk in his basket. He screeched. He tore at the cloth in a frenzy. They could hear his little claws clattering against the wicker sides. Finally, the milkman had had enough. Frau Hassel, he said sternly, you can't keep that animal cooped up in there. He is frightened. Take him out and hold him in your arms. Helena followed his advice, and sure enough, Peter settled down immediately and was content to simply look around. At the train station, Helena stuffed him into the front of her coat, where he promptly fell asleep. The station was crowded with people. The bombing had become very heavy, and train travel was dangerous. Rumor had it that this was the last train out of the Black Forest, and not only were all the evacuees departing, but local people from many miles around wanted to seize this last opportunity to take care of matters in other places. So when the train finally arrived, it was already full. 
Stay right here on the platform, Helena said to the children. Lotta, watch Gert, I'll be right back. Carrying as many of their belongings as she could, Helena climbed onto the train and hurried desperately from car to car looking for space. Spotting an empty corner, she threw down her belongings, then raced back to where the children stood. Kurt, Lotta, up! She pushed them on board, then picked up the still feverish Gert and climbed on, just as the train began to move. As they made their way through the train, Helena noticed that all the compartments were full, and in the aisles there was standing room only. Helena laid Gert down in their corner and propped his little head against a rough canvas rucksack. He was too sick to care. The other passengers shot her hostile glances. This woman brings all her household goods with her, someone muttered. It makes it harder for the rest of us. Just then, Peter poked his head out of her coat. Helena cringed, expecting more annoyed comments. Instead, a man standing next to her grinned broadly. Well, look at that, he said. You have a kitten in there. That cat has it good. If I could rest my head on your bosom, I would be content too. Embarrassed, Helena turned away while the rest of the passengers burst out laughing. The tension was broken. An air raid was in progress as the train pulled into Frankfurt. With a moaning siren sounding in her ears, Helena bundled her children and belongings into tram 23 for the trip home. Why, Lord, she silently cried out, why did we have to leave the safety of the Black Forest? Why did we have to return to bombs and destruction? It wasn't until several years later, when she and her two youngest children vacationed in the Black Forest, that she learned what happened after her departure. Remember how you had to leave so quickly? Tante Fisher said. The very day after you left, the Moroccans invaded our village. They were maniacs, full of rage. They plundered, they destroyed, they set fires. Systematically, they went to each house, found the girls and the women and raped them from the five-year-olds to the seventy-year-olds. It was all the same to them. Helena froze in horror. But what about you? I dressed myself in rags and blackened my face with soot while listening to the screams of the women. The farmer on the hill above me had started a fight with a band of Moroccans to give his two daughters a chance to escape and hide in the woods. Now the men were enraged and tore down the hill, shrieking like devils. I stepped out of my door with a cudgel in my hand, screaming at the top of my voice and acting like a madwoman. Those superstitious men must have thought I was a witch, for they fled without a backward glance. So I escaped. But for months afterward, the hospital in town was giving free abortions to women and children who had been raped. It's good that you and Lotta were safe. Now Helena understood. For reasons best known to him, God had indeed covered her with his wings. of Solemn Appeal Ministries, all rights reserved. For 
more information, please visit us at SolemnAppeal.com or call 1-888-449-1452.